A reading from the word of the Lord from the book of Genesis, chapter 2. This is the sufficient, inerrant, authoritative word of God. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The word of the Lord. Almighty Father, you are the rock of our salvation. We come before you with thanksgiving, and we exalt you with music and song. You are a great God, the great King above all gods. No other name is worthy to be worshipped. No other name is worthy to be bowed down to. No other name is worthy of our love and affection and service and honor. This morning we ascribe to the Lord the glory due to your name. We bring all that we have to you, our hearts, our souls, our minds, our time, and our resources as an offering to you. Father, you are so good, and your steadfast love endures forever. Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Before the foundations of the world, you established your chosen people, and through Christ we are now holy and blameless. 
what a loving and gracious God you are that you call us your creation, sons and daughters. It was according to your good pleasure that you have predestined us for adoption. Father, this should only endear us to you even more as direct recipients of your grace. Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God, we confess this past week we have given over to our fleshly tendencies. We have failed and doubted this week. We have not been who we are in Christ. So often we love the world more than we love your word. We believe that the world we believe what the world tells us about ourselves rather than what your word tells us. Forgive us where we have strayed from your ways that we have been taught. Father, forgive us men where we have exasperated our children this week. Would our disposition toward our children be as you are towards your children with loving and patient discipline? Too often we, re- we react out of anger and frustration because we don't want to be inconvenienced and we end up driving our kids away. Show us, Lord, where our work or our hobbies have caused our children to think we love those things more than we love them. Show us this week where our priorities need to change as we lead our families. Lord, I also confess that as men, we do not turn our eyes away quick enough when we see something that stimulates our eyes. Forgive us, Father, when we have replaced the beauty of our wives with the indecency of this world. The world wants us to graze among a field that is not ours. Would we be men, man enough to run far from it instead? May our fountain instead be blessed, and may we rejoice in the wife of our youth. And for our ladies, I ask that you forgive them, where they have spent time this week gossiping and being busybodies, saying what they should not. So often we cloak gossip in prayer requests or just sharing a concern we have about someone to someone else. Would our women not be known for that, but rather would they be reverent in behavior and not slanderers? Would our older women teach the younger women what is good? And would the wor- their words be used for edification and building up of their husbands and their children and their friends to others? Thank you, Lord, that we know when we come to you and ask for forgiveness, you will hear us and you will forgive us. It is through the blood of Christ that we stand redeemed. We know that Christ advocates for us, and it's only by your Son that we can have forgiveness of sin. Our desire is that we would not be conformed to this world, but rather we would be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Would you not allow any of us here to have hidden sin, but rather show your love to us by exposing any unrepentant sin for your namesake. We thank you for new life this week. Actually, the new life started nine months ago, so we thank you for a healthy delivery into this world this week. Would you continue to lavish your love on John and Tiana and their family through this church body in tangible ways? We ask that those who are sick and not able to make it today would be restored to health this week. And I thank you for those who did get sick this week for bodies and immune systems that are able to fight off sickness. You truly are an amazing designer. Give strength to our brother Chris this morning as he reminds us of who we are in Christ. Would you use his body this morning for your glory through the words that he says and the emotions that he displays? Give him strength for the task that you have called him to. Would your word be rightly divided this morning and would it bring change to everyone who hears? It's in the beautiful name of Christ that we confidently ask these things. Amen. Morning, church. You may have a seat. Truly is good to be with you this morning, especially with all the sickness we've had in the church and sickness that many are experiencing abroad right now. As Jeremy said, please do be in prayer for People at our church, as well as other churches, many are dealing with sickness, some of an acute nature. We do need to be in prayer for them. Please also be in prayer for the church of Jesus Christ right now, that during this season of sickness, she will not shrink back from her duty to proclaim the gospel to the nations, that she will not hide, that she will not run, that she will not be afraid, that she will not circle the wagons, but instead she will be brave and bold, bearing with those who are weak, and yet boldly proclaiming the word of life. Well, if you were with us last week, you know that we began an in-depth study into 1 Peter 2, verse 9. We are looking at what Peter identifies or characteristics of the church of Jesus Christ from 1 Peter 2, 9. We're taking a look at the people of God. You remember last week we talked about how God's people 
are God's heralds. God's people are God's heralds. Thank you for all the young people last week who came up to me and said, Mr. Jones, what's a herald? If you didn't have that conversation with me, a herald is a crier, someone who announces the news, who shares good tidings. You might think of the story of the marathon runner who ran uh, between, or to see the battle between the Greeks and uh, the the ancient Near East uh, cultures, and, and once that battle was over and the Greeks had won, um, he, the Persians, it was between the Persians and the Greeks, and once the battle between the Greeks and the Persians was over and the Greeks had won, uh, the marathon runner ran back and he cried out the good news that the Greeks had victory. So God's people are God's heralds. Today I'm going to read to you from 1 Peter 2.9, and then if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Exodus 19, that's where we're going to primarily be spending our time today. In Exodus 19, so beginning in 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Then all the way back in Exodus chapter 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you this morning that we are unable to understand these things that we have read. We confess to you that they are spiritually discerned. And apart from your spirit, they make no sense. For many of us who came to Christ later in life, we remember a time when we walked in darkness and the word of God brought no joy to our hearts. But by your spirit and because of your magnificent grace through Christ and the gospel, we now experience a joy as we open the word. But we still lean heavy on you, for Father, apart from your spirit, this is unintelligible to us. So be with me as I speak, and help me to get out of the way so that you may speak. And be with your people, that what remains in their hearts of desires and cares for this life and the day or the days to come would flee away so that they can attend to your word and hear it with diligence and act on it so that they can be your royal priesthood in this world. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, as we looked last week at the chosen race, and we examined that we, the people of God, are his chosen race, today we're going to take it a step further, and we're going to look at what is significant about that chosen race. God didn't just choose us But he assigned to us a task. In this world, he has called us to be a royal priesthood. And right here in Exodus 19, you see Moses having to relay a message to the Israelites at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And he's telling them that you were called to be a kingdom of priests, that you are going to be his holy nation, that you're going to be his treasured possession among all of the peoples. And this is what Moses was to relay to the people. Brothers and sisters, I would just ask you to consider the grace of God. The very beginning of this passage, look at this. 
the grace of God, the mercy of God, that he would even elect or choose anyone, all of us having been born in Adam and born in sin, to be his treasured possession, to be his chosen people, to be his kingdom of priests. But you might say, Chris, I understand that it's a gracious thing that God does that, but I mean, I look at this and I see, I see a conditional statement. And you're right. In verse 5, we read, Now therefore, if, now therefore, if, it's a big if, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession, my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Brothers and sisters, I would tell you today that everywhere in the world, we are seeking grace. We are grace-hungry people. We're grace-hungry people because we're a needy people. We're needy people because we're a fallen people. We have fallen in the sin of Adam, and we need grace. But right here in this passage, we face an insurmountable if. We face a challenge that we cannot overcome. And neither could the people of Israel. We live in a world today where everything it is desired comes to us free. I want free checks in the mail. I want a free job. Or I'd rather not even go to work. I'd rather somebody else pay for me, right? I want free citizenship. I want free vaccines. I want free medical care. I want free food. And everything in our world, we crave things coming to us free because we know deep down we're a needy people. But as I tell my kids often, there is no such thing as a free lunch. Everything in the universe costs something. And the fact that we are going to be called by Peter a royal priesthood, that came as a cost. That came at a cost. Came at a very high price. God's mercy and God's grace, we have received. But it came at a cost. And look here, if our royal priesthood was dependent on these people, the ancient Israelites, we're in big trouble. We're in big trouble because Moses was to relay this message to the Israelites and then he was going to go up on the mountain and he was going to spend time with God and he was going to get the law of the covenant from his God and he was going to bring it back down and relay it to the people. But you know how the story goes. Before he'd even had a chance to get back down, he'd already messed up. He'd already failed. It was miserable failure, Right? He couldn't even get back down the mountain. The Lord said to Moses in Exodus 32, go down for the people that you brought up, the ones you brought out of the land of Egypt, they have corrupted themselves. They've already turned aside out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and they've worshipped it and they've sacrificed to it saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I wonder, has there ever been a time in your life where you were offered something on a condition? I can remember when I was young, I was raised primarily by my mom. My brother and I, our dad was mostly involved and uninvolved in our lives, and, um, and we were raised primarily by our mother. And so mom having difficulty raising two wild, rambunctious boys, um, she tried everything, okay? She tried whatever she could to get us to obey. And a lot of times it was those conditional statements. Now, I confess to you that when I was a young man, I had a very foul mouth, okay? I said a lot of things that I regret and have had to repent of. One of the things that freely came off my tongue, don't fear mom and dad, okay? One of the things that freely came off of my tongue was the phrase, shut up. I said that a lot, and I regret it, children. It's an evil and wicked thing to say. Please don't make a practice of that. I, in my sin, said that very often, and, and usually it was in regards to my twin brother, okay? And so I remember a day when my mom, she, um, she had had enough, okay? She was ready for us to stop saying that. So she said to us that morning, she said, boys, listen, if y'all will stop saying, shut up to one another, then tonight, I'll take you down to the video store and I'll rent you a video game, okay? Kids, when I was growing up, we had these things called video stores and you used to have to go to them and actually get a video and take it home. So she told us we could get a video game if we wouldn't say shut up, right? Sounds like a pretty good deal. Now, I remember my brother kind of out of the corner of his mouth saying, 
he'll never do it. <laughs> to which I responded, you know what, you can, okay, and you know how the rest of it goes, okay? Now, it didn't take me long to have already failed that condition, right? All right, if this, then this. Nope, couldn't even get a minute in. I'd already broken it. Brothers and sisters, if our hope is in this Israel to attain for us, or even just for themselves, a royal priesthood, we're of all people most to be pitied. (laughs) We're out of hope. We're out of luck. You know the story. It even gets worse than that. This Israel would go on to reject their king. They would give up worshiping him, and instead they would value things made by hand above the God who made all things. They would pursue this to perfection, outdoing one another in showing dishonor. They would worship trees, animals, insects, precious metals, statuary, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the dead. They would fall further into sin and darkness. They would feast to these things without concern for gluttony. And they would drink without regard of drunkenness. They would lie with other men's wives, and their wives would whore after other men. They would even give up these sinful sexual relations to be consumed with passions for their own gender. They would require women to go into battle with them, and they would sacrifice their children on the altar of Molech. And when God would discipline them for these sins, he would often afflict them with famine and plague. And instead of repenting and turning to him, they would only increase their sacrifices to the host of heaven. And they often sought out physicians rather than their God for healing. Does this sound familiar? It should. Nothing new under the sun. Mark Twain is reported to have one time said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. Sounds like us. But here we've got a people to which a condition was given. They failed miserably, and as God extended to them more and more opportunities of grace, they failed more and more miserably. And I ask you, brothers and sisters, today, what if none of that had ever changed? What if today those conditions were still unmet? What if today the temple were still on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem? What if today, in order to worship Yahweh, you still had to go and pay homage through sacrifices that could never atone for your sins? For us, we would be in the court of the Gentiles, the farthest removed from the temple of God. And we could only look afar off and see the smoke rising from inside the temple walls. We had no access to God. Did you know in other, every other religion in the world today, it is still this way. If you're not a Muslim and you're going through Saudi Arabia, you'd like to go see Mecca. Here it's a beautiful place. They've got some neat architecture there. I'd like to go see it. You're going to find that there are interstate exits that demand that you get off if you're not a Muslim. You have to get off the interstate. And if you don't and they catch you in Mecca... At the very least, they will deport you and never allow you to come to Saudi Arabia again. At the worst, if they think you're suspect of terrorist activity, they can give you the death penalty. And that's how their God allows people to approach him. It's the same in the LDS churches. If you're not a man and you're not at the highest ranking level, some of the LDS churches, the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, you can't go all the way into the sanctuary. It's the same in Hindu culture. There are about nine temples in the Hindu religion which you have no access to unless you're a Hindu yourself and you're high ranking. You're of a certain class. And brothers and sisters, Israel was offered this conditional statement. We were not. We're like that kid at the ballpark who's watching the other kids play ball. He's rooting for a team, but his team always loses. They're terrible. It's like the sandlot. They're awful, right? Never going to win. But you're the one that's sitting on the bleachers. You're the girl that never gets asked to the dance. 
always left out, always alone, always remote. Wednesday night at prayer meeting, Jeremy said the two words that make all the difference in the world. But God. But God. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Christ's obedience that secured the way for you to come into his priesthood, this is where grace and mercy comes in. And you know the difference between the two, right? Mercy and grace. We often use these terms synonymously, but they're slightly different. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve, okay? It's like going before a judge, you are guilty, and you don't get what you do deserve. He gave you mercy. But grace is when you get what you don't deserve. You're given things that you don't deserve. And as Gentiles, we never deserved a royal priesthood. We never deserved to be a part of this kingdom of priests. That's why it should shock us that Peter would ever make a statement like, you're the chosen ones. And you're the royal priesthood. That should shock us. That should hit us. And yet here it is. We stand in the mercy and grace of God. We stand as the royal priesthood. We stand as his people. And can I tell you this today? Friend, if you are not in Christ, none of what I am saying is true of you. None of what I am saying is true of you. Apart from the grace and the mercy of God, apart from the blood atonement of Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself for us, none of this is true of you. None of it is. So today, children, little ones, if you are far off from God, if you see your mommy and daddy praying, you see them seeking God, but there's never been the love of Christ born in your heart because you've seen your sin, you've dealt violently with it, you've repented of your sin, none of this is true of you. And what is true is in the kingdom of Jesus, there is a paradise which we will live in forever. But outside that paradise, there's darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And unless you repent and enter through the door who is Christ himself, you will perish in your sins and you will be lost forever. This is what's true. And brothers and sisters, you know that we needed an Israel to keep the covenant. We needed someone who would indeed obey God's voice and indeed keep his covenant. And this, Christ did. He came perfectly to keep both God's law by obeying his covenant. And by doing this, he attained perfect righteousness. And for every Christian, that righteousness was given. That's grace. And what we didn't get that we deserved, Christ took, and that's mercy. This is the great exchange. This is the great mystery of Christianity. Mystery of mysteries. And that we, Gentiles, who are on the outside looking in, have now been brought in and grafted into the church of Jesus Christ. We are a part of the true Israel of God. We are his people, beloved. And we're a royal priesthood. Now, I know this is a story many of you have heard over and over again, but can I encourage you with something that might help this week just based on what you've heard this morning? We hear in gospel preaching churches often, you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. You need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. And that can sound kind of like Christianese, but what really does that look like, right? It actually looks very similar to what we've done already this morning. I'm going to give you three things that you can do this week if you're in a moment where you need to preach the gospel to yourself. Now, what might that moment look like? Tammy and I frequently have moments in our home where we're having a down moment, okay? Maybe there's some sadness, there's some fear, depression, there's some anger, frustration with the situation in the home. And if the grace of God is on our hearts, we'll go 
to one another and say, hey, sweetheart, can you take the kids for the next 15 minutes? I need to go get alone with the Lord. Or sometimes what happens is we don't see it. We don't see the need. And so perhaps she will come to I or I'll go to her and say, hey, sweetheart, I've got the kids for the next 15 minutes. Why don't you go get alone with Jesus? Now, can I encourage you to start there? If you're going to apply the gospel in your daily situation, you need to get alone with Christ. You need to get with Christ. You need to get alone with Christ. And the first thing I want to encourage you to do is to meditate on your sin. That's right. Don't run to the cross. I need you to stop and meditate on your sin. I don't know if you've had a similar, uh, similar situation to I have, but sometimes, if, especially if there's a situation in the home where I've been angry, I get frustrated, and Tammy says, you know, Chris, why don't you take just a few minutes and go be alone with Jesus? I can go into the bedroom, and all I'll do is shout at Jesus. You know what? I'm angry at you, and I'm angry at me, and I'm angry at everybody, right? I need to stop first, and I need to consider my sin. I should stop and consider my sin. Look at, look at this. In this passage in Exodus 19, what we did first was we stopped and we considered our hopeless situation, right? Jeremy mentioned that John and Tiana had their baby this last Friday. Praise God, healthy mom, healthy baby, everything's fine. You all know that a, a newborn baby is a pretty helpless creature, okay? Without mom, without food, without warmth, it'll die. But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, Without the grace of God in your life, that baby's more likely to survive on this earth than you are when you stand before a holy God. You've got to acknowledge the fact that you are helpless and that you need Christ. So the first thing you need to do when you go into your room to get alone with Jesus is you need to acknowledge your sin and you need to deal with it violently. And you deal with it violently by secondly going to the cross. And you meditate on Christ's sacrifice. You acknowledge that nothing you could do was going to make this go away in your heart. But only what Christ did. Only through his blood atonement was this taken away. Could you be set free? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So go in and meditate on your sin, and then meditate on Christ's sacrifice. And then number three, I would encourage you to go out of your room and act the grace that you've been given. Go out of your room and act the grace that you've been given. Fathers and mothers, this is the hardest thing for us to do. You go in, you think about your sin, you bring it before the Lord, confess your sin, and then you come out, and because there was an altercation with a child, and their sin angered you and got you fired up, you want to apologize to them, but you kind of tell them it was their fault. <laughs> you know, I, Daddy got mad there just a minute ago, but, you know, son, you, you, you broke God's law. Now, hold on a second. Let's deal with your sin with your child first. Let's go ahead and clear that out of the way. You need to look your child in the eyes and say, sweetheart, I'm sorry. I did wrong. I should not have treated you that way. Will you forgive me? Yes, daddy, I forgive you. Isn't it wonderful how quickly children forgive? I just love that. Such a, the image of God in them, just the quickness to forgive. And then if there's a sin issue that needs to be dealt with in the home, you go and you deal with it. Now, son, you did hit your brother with the yard rake, okay? We're going to have to go, and we're going to have to talk about that, okay? And you're going to have to have a spanking because you should be spanking your children when they break God's law, right? <laughs> Not a true story, okay? <laughs> Yet. <laughs> but repentance is the key, brothers and sisters. We need to repent, and then we need to go out and act the miracle before our family. In front of their eyes, we need to show them the grace that we've been given, and then we need to be gracious in our home. Christian homes ought to be bombs of grace. There ought to be grace everywhere in your home. Now, I'm not saying such grace that kids get away with sin. No, the sin has to be dealt with, but if we are graced people, we ought to be people that extend tremendous amounts of grace. The fact that you are in a royal priesthood 
means that you have received more grace than you can possibly imagine. For eternity, we're going to be considering the grace that we received in Christ to not only be his people, but he offered that we could be his priesthood and that that priesthood would include, we're a part of the royal family. We're king priests. And if you like, because 1 Peter 2.9 says that we're to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, not only are you a king and a priest, you're also a prophet. You are a prophet, a priest, and a king in Jesus Christ. Every one of us is. You're royalty, you're part of a priesthood, and you proclaim Christ as a prophet of God. Every one of us does. And this is a gift that we have in Jesus Christ. Consider that royalty for just a second. We've been thinking about the priesthood. Consider that royalty. In this text, it says here that if they obeyed God, they would be a kingdom of priests. Isn't it interesting, though, that in 1 Peter 2.9, Peter says not that you would be a kingdom of priests, meaning every citizen in the kingdom would be a part of the priesthood, but he adds an adjective to it. He says, you're going to be a royal priest. Drawing from the Greek Septuagint, that is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Peter sees something further going on here. Peter sees that what the Hebrews could not see, that they would not only be a part of the entire priesthood, they would be a part of the king's family. They would be welcomed into his family. Just like Melchizedek, he was king of Salem, and he was priest of God Most High. Now, brothers and sisters, I would ask you, have you considered the fact that you are royalty in Christ? We think about our priesthood. You hear about the great Protestant tradition of the priesthood of all believers. There's not this separate class of priests, right? Jeremy and I are not the priests, okay? The Pope is not a priest, no matter what he says, right? The fathers of the Catholic Church are not the priests. We are all priests, in Christ's kingdom. But have you considered the fact that you are royalty as well? My, um, my family on my mom's side is very interested in this Ancestry.com project. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, okay? If you've ever heard of Ancestry, you can go in, you can type in some information about yourself, put in some background, and then it'll start to populate all this data that they've got about you and your ancestors, okay? My Uncle Raymond, the oldest brother on my mom's side, is very interested in this. He's actually, the last time I talked to him, I seem to remember he said that he has traced my mom's side of the family as far back they've got data into the 450s AD. That's how far back he's been able to trace our family, okay? Now, I just think it would be cool if as we're searching through all this Ancestry.com stuff, we found out that we own like a castle, right? I mean, we are from Scotland, right? Okay, Scots Irish family, the Joneses, okay? That's where we're from, right? Part of Clan Skeen. What if I had a castle in my name, right? What if you found out through Ancestry.com that you owned a castle, right? What would you do with it? Would you go move in? Would you renovate it? Would you demand allegiance of all the people around you, right? Would you try and list it on Zillow, right? What would, what would you do, right? I mean, it's your castle, it belongs to you. It's in your name. No one can ever take it from you because it's yours by inheritance. Brethren, I would encourage you. There's no way for me to make this more clear. Everything that you set your eyes on today or this week or everything that you've ever seen in your life or everything you will ever see in your life, it all belongs to King Jesus. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. We have a president in this country, and we have legislators, we have police officers, and we're supposed to respect and honor them. We're going to get to that when we go a little bit further in 1 Peter chapter 2, and what that respect and allegiance looks like. But the current president of the United States, and the previous one, do not occupy a place of high standing as you do. In Christ, you are a part of the heavenly royal family. And that will never change. And everything that Jesus owns all belongs to us too. 
We are co-heirs with Christ. Paul would tell his young student Timothy that if we endure, we will also reign with him. We're going to reign with Christ. We're going to reign with our Savior. And everything that belongs to Jesus will belong to us. Well, now this is all good news, but brothers, I want you to have something that you can take home today. I want you to have more that you can consider when you think about royalty. What does royalty mean when you think about it in your context? What does priesthood mean when you think about it in your context? A father, a business owner, a housewife, a child. What does it mean if you're part of the family of God? What does it mean that you are royalty and you're part of a priesthood? If you have your Bibles handy, flip over to Deuteronomy. Flip over to Deuteronomy 17. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 17, beginning in verse 14. This is a section having to do with the kings of Israel. And I'll read it for us at length. In verse 14 of Deuteronomy 17, the word of the Lord says, When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it, and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you, who is not your brother. Now, you know the story. Israel went, they got to the promised land, they decided they want a king. They got Saul, and eventually Saul was deposed, and David was brought in. And then there was a kingly line through David. But an astute reader will see here that this king he's pointing to is Jesus. The kingship that is to come, this king is Jesus. However, there's a lot that we can draw for ourselves and our own practical application of what God required of his kings. What was it that God required of his perfect king Jesus? What did the Father demand, and what does he also require of us? Look at verse 16 and 17. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return again that way. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive gold or silver. Isn't it interesting that when God begins to describe the kingdom and the king, he doesn't start with what the king is allowed to do. He starts with what the king is not allowed to do. Brothers and sisters, I would tell you this. If you're taking notes, the king has a job. The king has a job. He is to provide for, he is to protect, and he is to preserve his kingdom. He is to provide for, he is to protect, and preserve his kingdom. But notice, he is to do all of those things, provide, preserve, and protect for his kingdom, not for himself. Look again at verses 16 and 17. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself. Verse 17, he shall not acquire many wives for himself. He shall not acquire for himself excessive silver or gold. Now kings need silver and gold. Kings need horses to protect their people and they do need a marriage so they can continue the line which will bless the kingdom maintaining the rulership over the kingdom. But the king was meant to serve the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, as a royalty in Christ, as royalty in Christ, you were made to serve not your own kingdom. You were made to serve the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus says as much himself. He says, seek first my kingdom. And then he also says, my righteousness. Isn't that interesting that Jesus put those two words together? My kingdom, my righteousness. Kings and priests. Kings and priests. It's right there in the text. Kings and priests. As kings, we are to serve the kingdom of Jesus, not our own. If I told you that in the news recently, it's been leaked that the Queen of England 
for years now has been funneling money from Great Britain to greater Russia. She's actually been sending troops to protect the borders of Russia, and she's been taking the national treasures of Great Britain and putting them in museums in Russia. What would you say? Say she's abdicated. She's a traitor. She's given up on her kingdom. I would ask you the same question, brothers and sisters. In your walk with Christ, whose kingdom are you really serving? Whose kingdom are you really serving? Is your schedule, is your daily life, is your routine about your kingdom or is it about the kingdom of Jesus? Is it about your kingdom or is it about the kingdom of Jesus? I heard Gabe Wrench say on a podcast this week, my biggest enemy is my flesh, myself, right here in the text. He can't serve himself. He can't serve himself. He can't serve himself. We were called to serve the kingdom of Jesus. John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Ask yourself, brothers and sisters, whose kingdom have you been serving this week? Whose kingdom have you been serving this week? Fathers, I might ask you, are you living for the kingdom of Jesus or your own? Are there hobbies? Are there occupations? Are there things in your own home, even your wife and children, that you put ahead of the kingdom of Jesus? Are you putting things in front of the kingdom of Jesus? What might this look like? Let's say we're at a fellowship meal together. We're going to have one in a few minutes. And children need to be attended to at the fellowship meal. And one of your children comes up to you in the fellowship meal while you're having a good conversation. They start pulling on your shirt. Hey, Dad, can I ask you a question? Hey, Dad, hey, Dad, can I ask you, hey, Dad, can I ask you a question? Right? There are children like this, okay? And it could be very easy in that moment to put your own needs ahead of the kingdom of Jesus. What do you mean? I thought you said we can't put our children first. No, but Jesus asked you to prioritize your family, fathers. He asked you to prioritize your family. He asked you to consider your children. He asked you to welcome them in. If they are a part of your family, if Paul goes as far as to say that because they're in your household, they ought to be treated like a precious thing, like a holy thing, then they ought to be welcome to us. Do you shoo them away, fathers? Or do you welcome them to your side, telling them to be patient, finish your conversation, and then... You address your child. Ladies, your husband has given you the rulership of the home when he's not home. When he's not home, are you ruling this home under his authority or are you ruling it for yourself? Do you carve out time where you've been given a task, you've been asked to do something to help with this many kingdom that Jesus has set you over and yet you've reserved time for yourself and you're not honoring the husband whom God's given you? Have you abdicated? Young men, in Christ, you're royalty. But can I ask you a question? What consumes your talk? What consumes your time? When you get together with friends, if you're in Christ, is there ever a priority to seek first the kingdom of Jesus with your Christian brothers? Or is it your own kingdom you're putting first? You wonder in the parable of the talents how we get to a place where there's a man who has one talent and he goes and he buries it. He's royalty too. And yet he was given something and he said, I'm afraid of my master. And he goes and he buries it in the sand. And then he's judged, and rightly so. Why? Because he abdicated the throne that God gave him. 
There's an old TV show called Band of Brothers. It's about a group of soldiers in World War II. Tracks the planning and the missions of Easy Company. And the men in this company face loss after loss after loss. And they often have to get new leadership. At one point, they get a, a leader over their company. His name is Lieutenant Dyke. And Lieutenant Dyke, the narrator says, he's a bad leader. He's a terrible leader. But he says he's a bad leader not because he made poor decisions. He's a bad leader because he made no decisions. Brothers, sisters, I would encourage you. You are a part of the kingdom of Jesus. Abdicating this role is not an option. When Jesus attained this for us and we were welcomed in, we didn't get to be saved but not have the responsibility. We are king priests. And as part of the royal family, we have duties we must fulfill. And we must put first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, if you'll look again at Deuteronomy 17, we'll see one other thing that we need to do. He's given a don't. He said, don't devote your time to yourself. But do this. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, verse 18, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Don't devote yourself to your own kingdom, but devote yourself to the word of God. I've got to ask, I know this is so plain, I know it's basic Christianity, but if you are royalty, you are expected to have your own copy of the word of God and you are expected to read from it daily. That is what God expects from his people. And I would ask you, over the last year, consider all the extra time that we had in the kingdom of Jesus to read and study the word of God. With all the fear and everything that people ran indoors for, was there devotion in your life to the word of God? Did you give added time to the reading of God's word? Can I ask you today, brothers and sisters, do you know more about the U.S. Constitution over the last year than you learned about the word of God? Over the last year, has your interest in learning about COVID or mask mandate laws or vaccines or ballot harvesting or election fraud been either matched or exceeded by your pursuit of your God in his word? Today, are you able to explain to me how a messenger RNA works and how your genes change after a shot? better than you can explain the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost person. Shame on us. Shame on us. Rather talk about medical stuff that can save this life than share the good news of Jesus which can save for eternity. Shame on us. It's not wrong to know all of this information. But as king priests, we must prioritize the word of God in our lives. What does it mean to be a king? You can't live for yourself, but you live for God, and you live for what God has revealed in his word. C.S. Lewis, in the third installment of his Narnia stories, says this is what it means to be king. You're the first in every desperate attack, and you're the last in every desperate retreat. And when there's hunger in the land, as must now be occasionally in bad years, you wear finer clothes and laugh louder over a scantier meal than any man in your land. Did you come out of last year full of joy? The first in for Jesus and the last out? Brothers, repentance is needed in the church of Jesus. Even in our own hearts, it is needed. Because today there are so many things that tickle our ears that demand our attention. We need to repent and we need to get back to first things. Well, lastly, as we close, I would like you to consider the priesthood side. I want you to 
particularly consider your priesthood. When you think of a priesthood, you're going to think of something that is sacred, something that is set apart. And as priests, we are to be set apart from the world. Hebrews 10, 12 through 14 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That means set apart. I've got to ask you, brothers and sisters, have you been set apart? Are you set apart in the world today? As the church of Jesus, do you look different than the world? Now, we're going to talk a lot more about this next week when we consider the holy nation that Jesus is assembling for himself. But one thing that sets the church of Jesus Christ apart above all others, Jesus says in John 13, verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now I'm tremendously encouraged because over the last week I have seen some tremendous examples of compassion and love amongst the church of Jesus. As we've had many sick people, there have been people bringing meals, people praying, people meeting during the middle of the week for corporate prayer together for these people. But have you considered the call of Jesus on your life to love as Christ loves? Jesus says in the verse immediately prior to this in John 13, as I have loved you, That's how I want you to love others. And then he goes on to say, the world's going to know you're my disciples, not just because you love each other, but because you love each other like I loved you. This sets us apart from the rest of the world. This shows the world that we are the community of Christ. Secondly, as priests, we offer sacrifices. You know the verse from Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, brothers and sisters, in a world today where babies are being ripped apart in their mother's womb, offered to the sex god, where children as young as eight years old in the United States today are being instructed to cut off their genitals and sew others on, And they give that to the God of autonomy. Where the minds of young black men and young black women, as well as every other nationality, are being offered unknowingly to the God of prejudicial privilege. Where the church of Jesus Christ is being pimped out to the culture of our age. Where Christian fathers and Christian mothers are sacrificing the future of the church of Jesus Christ, as well as their children and their lineage for a 401k. We live in a world where sacrifices are being made everywhere. And there's only one acceptable sacrifice to God, and you know what it is. It's you. The sacrifice that you are to make that is pleasing to God is you. No more do we go to a temple some other part of the Middle East, and we lay down sacrifices to a God who sees the sacrifice but never completely atones for sins. The sacrifice for the atonement of sins has been laid down once for all in the body of Christ Jesus. And as an example for us, he says, so you go and you lay yourself down, not as a dead sacrifice, though it may come to that one day, even in this country. Perhaps it gets violent enough where even as we're standing on the sidewalk advocating for the unborn, our lives could even be threatened. But you give your body as a living sacrifice, as a daily sacrifice, as a moment by moment, my life is on the altar for Jesus. Every moment of every day. Can I give you three things to consider sacrificing this week as a part of your living sacrifice? The next verse in Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 15. He tells us that we are to praise and to sing sing to our God. Through him, that is Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. 
Can I encourage you, brothers and sisters? And this takes sacrifice for some of us. I know there are moments and moods that I have throughout the week where this is a real sacrifice. You stop in the middle of a busy or a hard day and you start saying praises to God out loud. What an impact that would have on our families. Daddy's frustrated, and you know what, kids, can y'all stop for just a minute? I'm going to stop, and I'm going to name three things right now that I want to praise God for, and I want you to name a couple too. You can make yourself a living sacrifice to God this week by stopping in the middle of whatever you're doing, spontaneously praising God, and I would encourage you to sing. Our family sings at the beginning or at the end of a meal. We like to sing either the doxology or one of the shorter psalms that we've been learning at Psalm Sing. And if you come to Psalm Sing, we're not going to have it this week, but the fourth Sunday of every month, we're going to practice singing and learning the psalms together, and you'll learn some of those too. Number two, you can offer yourself in service to each other. Hebrews 13, verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices... For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have. You know the moment when that's a sacrifice. You're at home, the need comes, the call comes late in the day, maybe at night, and that brother or sister is all the way across town and nobody signed up for that meal. Living sacrifice. I want to give myself to Christ right now. Because this is a sacrifice that's pleasing to him. Got a brother or sister who needs to move. This is going to happen frequently. We pray in the years to come, even next week. Right? There, there may be a need for service there. And Saturdays, that's our day off, right? Living sacrifice. Give freely of yourself. Last but not least, from Philippians 4.18, the giving of your treasure. Paul said, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Brothers and sisters, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this church talking about money, but Jesus cares about what you do with your money. And he wants you to use your money as a tool because it helps to lead your heart. Where you put your money, your heart follows. Living sacrifice. Give to the Lord. Give to his causes. Give to people in need. Three ways in which this week you can present yourself as a living sacrifice. As we close, I want to encourage you with the words again of C.S. Lewis who talked about what it means to be a sacrifice in his book, Mere Christianity. There's a lot of things in this book that I don't agree with, but this statement I thought was excellent. Lewis says, Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end, Submit with every fiber of your being. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find, you'll find something. You will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. If you're a king and you're looking for number one, you're not going to find much. But if you look for Christ, Lewis says, you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. Brothers, we are a royal priesthood. As a royal priesthood, we have been welcomed in to more grace than we can imagine. And more responsibility than we can imagine. But by the Spirit of God, we are able to do this. We are able to live in a way that pleases King Jesus. And this we can do today if we will submit ourselves as living sacrifices. If we will prioritize the word of God. If we will not live for our own kingdoms, but will set ourselves apart for the kingdom of Jesus and for the sake of his righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this hour. We thank you for the time that you've allowed us to set aside 
to learn about you, to be instructed, to be challenged, to be quickened in our hearts about how far we have to go. And yet to be reminded of your grace that no matter how far we have to go, you reach down in our death and in our lostness and in our darkness and you pulled us up and you brought us back to life and you made us righteous in your eyes through Christ and through our faith in him. And you gave us an inheritance as king priests who go about as prophets in this world, proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Oh, Father, enable your people to do that this week, everywhere they go, whether it's in their homes, at the workplace, even right here at the fellowship meal after church. May we devote ourselves to first the kingdom of Jesus and his righteousness, knowing that you have promised us you will add all the other things that we need. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as we dismiss, I want to encourage you, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, your sacrifice of praise, to God the Father through him.